Welcome to X's and O's NBA Breakdown, the podcast where we take a deeper look into teams, coaches, and trends of the NBA. I'm your host, Coach Mark Tinklenberg. It's time to settle in and enjoy as we talk about the league. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of X's and O's NBA Breakdown. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Risen Grind, Nuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Blazing the Path, Hashtag Lakers, and Motor City Hoops. Also, check out our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, and bleachers and boards. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Welcome to X's and O's NBA Breakdown. I'm your host, Mark Tinklenberg. I'm here with my co-host, Zach Walker, and Mike hey. Herringa. I think he's he's here somewhere. And we have a special guest tonight, my uh player actually i coached against uh but that also is from the central ohio area we got jack gibbs in the house jack is a central ohio legend high school basketball around here he was gatorade player of the year in 2013 right jack is that when you graduated yep okay so he was gatorade player of the year uh which is a big deal ended up playing at davidson college and our show is based on X's and O's, so college coaches, high school coaches, uh, even anybody that's got any interest in the NBA, this might be your show. Uh, he's going to break down quite a few things from his point of view, which is going to be great for all of us listeners, including myself as the host, to hear. And uh, Zach and I and Mike have been talking. We're really excited for today's show, uh, give you guys a little bit different background. So I'm going to stop there. I'm going to let Jack kind of – talk about his basketball background just some of the stuff that so uh where he's played where he's currently at what he's currently doing um and we'll go from there take it away all right yeah i mean uh like you said i from columbus ohio played uh at westville north uh ended up gatorade player of the year um a lot thanks to our team being very good so i'm not gonna take too much credit for that and then yeah with humble went to davidson um First year as a freshman, obviously, I thought I was really good. And then I came in and realized that I was not as good as I thought I was. (laughs) We had seven seniors on the team. So I played around 18 minutes a game. Uh, Some games I played more. Some games I played a lot less. Um, Took my bumps and and bruises, that's for sure. Uh, But then sophomore, junior, senior year, I kind of got in a rhythm. Uh, I think the biggest thing was – Coach McKillop kind of pulled me aside and was like, listen, I have I have my full trust in you. I want you, We're only going to go as far as you can help uh, take us. And I think that was a big step for me because I think basketball is a game and it should be fun. And I think when you have that confidence from your coach, you can kind of play more free. And uh, that's how I like to play. I like to play fun and free um, and just kind of – And I think it also helps with the rest of the team's nerves, I guess. Not everybody kind of plays the way I do. Um, So if they see someone that they see as a leader, 
um, of someone that I try to be a leader. Uh, playing so free, then I guess it kind of, I guess it kind of helps them calm down. And that's what that's what I'm trying to do. Try to get the best out of my teammates and and win. Uh, that's obviously that's what any basketball player wants to do. Um, after Davidson, I played in the summer league with the Timberwolves. Um, I knew uh, some guys from Ohio that were on that staff, Calvin Booth and Peter Patton. Um, so they kind of helped me get that get that gig. And from there, uh, my coaches from Charlois in Belgium um, saw me. I ended up going to Belgium for my first year. Uh, it was a great experience. I had some veterans on my team, and I think the best part was my coach was American. So while it was an adjustment period, it wasn't anything crazy. And I think my veterans really helped me kind of get adjusted. After that, I played in Finland for a year. Um, Finland was fun. Uh, and I enjoyed that nice city. Uh, the coach kind of let us play free like we did in at Davidson. And I think my actually all my coaches professionally, I was lucky enough to have like a similar system where it's kind of a motion offense and it's based on guys like Hughes, which that's that's how I want to play. I'm not um, keen on being micromanaged by a coach. But I know some people some people like that and some people need that kind of system. Um, but that's never been me. Um, and then then I went back to Belgium for a year and this year, 2020 is kind of weird. I had an injury later on in my last year, tore my hamstring, tore my MCL. So not ideal, but nothing that I haven't been through before. And um, so right now I'm kind of just trying to get healthy and training kids. Cause I think that I, I'm not saying that I play basketball the best way, but I think, um, the things that I teach the kids that I train are rather than have someone at the top of key doing a bunch of dribble moves, I would rather teach them that once you get someone leaning one way, attack their space or, or different things like that, how to cut rather than get in my bag and go one-on-one. Um, I think that's a big part of basketball nowadays. And not saying it's wrong. I mean, you have players that can do that, but the majority of the players – aren't going to be able to do that and won't succeed at that the next level. So I'd rather teach them the details rather than just the ISO moves. Um, so, and then hopefully I'm going to coach a team in the spring. Um, Get yourself healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Get myself healthy and just kind of see the other, the other side of basketball. Sure. And especially like with COVID and everything hitting that, you know, you and I, we had, we talked a little bit before you just mentioned that, getting healthy right now, kind of seeing the other side and coaching and with everything going on, just keeping yourself safe is kind of priority right now. But uh, the good news is, is that whenever you're ready to go back, I know that you'll have plenty of teams waiting for you. Um, Jack, that is, that's basically exactly what we kind of wanted to talk about. And um, I'm going to start by hitting something with you. Um, I'm going to kind of free flow here a little bit I was watching you hit on like how you are if you were to train a player kind of um the things that you feel are important you know as in like it's not all about the dribble master as I like to call it the guy out there doing 100 dribble moves to get nowhere um I was watching a, a clip and some of the best to ever do it you know 
I'm a huge Kobe guy. I watched when his age 35, it was about a 30 minute thing on his footwork. And um, I just watched all the different ways he scores. And it stood out to me. The dude has literally three dribble moves, like attack dribble moves. And he's got a counter to each one of those moves. And everything else is based on footwork, attacking angles, um, you know, how he gets the defender leaning just with a simple cross or he hits you with a heavy inside out into a perfect balance, whether he's fading or not, it's still a perfect balance shot with a follow through. And I think kids need more of that. Uh, They don't need the hundred, you know, there's a hundred chairs on the floor and you're learning how to dribble in and out of a, you know, 50 people. Um, I think, and I'm not saying chairs and cones aren't useful in a workout. I'm saying, I think we, there are more kids that could be benefited benefit from that style of a workout or taught that, which is how you play. I mean, you did have a bag. You were, you were always known as being super crafty and super creative. You kind of were known around here in in high school and definitely in college, you were known as somebody who could make something out of nothing, but that doesn't mean that you didn't do the simple things. Right. So hit on that a little bit. Like when you're training somebody now as a player, what does that look like? Yeah. It's just like, rather than hit me with a dribble combo, I want I teach my players that I think the biggest thing, and especially when I made the jump from high school to college, like the two things that I needed to work on were a uh, change of pace and change of direction. Like rather than like dribble, 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 like if I can get my guy going one way and have one strong move or one move that I know works and can get him off balance and I can get past his hip. Once you have him on your hip, you, you have him. you have him at your mercy. Whether, whether you want to get to the basket, whether you want to hold them off, kind of see, let a play develop or something like that. It's just, it's just simple things. And like you talked about Kobe, like if you can master a few things, then it's better than being okay at a lot of things. Like he got to a spot, if you, if whether it's that get to that elbow and maybe have a couple pivots and make that shot, like those are his spots and they are impossible to guard. Whereas you have, and I think one of the reasons I think that the dribble moves are so popular now is because of the increase in social media. Like when I, I like when I was growing up, there was, was social media, but um, I don't think it was to the point where like you had a highlight tape every workout. Like, I don't, I don't want to see highlight tapes of workouts, like go in, get your work in and, and get better. And I think that's what, that's what I try to teach my kids, whether it's uh setting a cut up like people don't know how to set cups up anymore and that's why they're not open you set a cut up you can be open all the time i mean i'm five eleven, six foot but like i know how to create space and that's mm-hmm. before you even get the ball yep 100 percent. kids are realizing or being taught as much as i think they should and i think that when they get to college it's it shows especially now like you didn't have all that practice so you can see some of those top blue bloods are like struggling because they don't have those fundamentals down and and they don't have like their reps put in to to know how to get past the physicality of the jump between high school and college that's that is so spot on and there are a lot of there are a lot of really good trainers or guys that work with kids that that are that are able to kind of use their strengths and you know something back when you and I played against each other back when I was, I don't know, four or five years ago, something that stood out to me when we were going against each other was how you physically with your hands and your arms, nothing about what you were doing. And we were going at each other. Do you remember that open gym? 
yeah. Yeah, we were going at each other. But I walked away from that, and I remember telling um, Coach Collins, the guy I coached, I remember saying to him, that was the hardest person I've ever guarded, not because you were doing anything, but because of the way you used your arms and your, your hips. And I was at your mercy basically most of the night. And I couldn't, you were basically just picking and choosing what you wanted to do. And I think that's what makes a great player. It's not the dribble moves to get by me. It's the, it's all those little angles and the way you used your body and the way you would physically hit me to get me off balance and then attack me. Uh, yeah, I, I took notes, brother. I, I remember that like yeah. it was yesterday. I, th- I think basketball is a very – it's an easy game if if you know how to play it the right way. And, I mean, I think I learned that – I knew that. And, like, kind of like when you can slow the game down and kind of see, like – and you know what's going to happen before it happens. Like, it's, it's a lot easier. And I think once I got to Davidson and kind of really realized, like, Coach McKill – teaching us catch and see like catch a lot of people catch it and dribble like no catch and see like someone might be open and you have to get out your hands very quickly or or like learn learn how to fake and learn how to act whether it's whether it's faking to get a ball get a pass in or faking like you're gonna take this back screen when in reality you're gonna take this down screen to get open shot like there's so many little things and these little details that are lost on a lot of people that I think I think it would take a lot of people's games to the next level for sure. Well, Mark was saying a little bit earlier about fundamentals, right? And the difference between uh, balance and footwork and all of that and dribbling between cones. And it sounds like one of the things you're saying is, look, fundamentals evolve too. Yeah, maybe the, our, my fifth grade uh, camp does a lot of dribbling between cones. But when you're, when you're running open gym with Mark, your fundamental has then become, all right, I'm going to put them on my hip. I'm going to make sure that my balance is just right. I'm going to make sure that I do that. And that's that next step that it sounds like you're talking about when, where you're coaching them. Yeah, we want to make sure we get right-hand dribble, left-hand dribble. We want to be able to backstep. We want to be able to go between the legs. What comes next is, yeah, I got you now. I, don't, I have you by a quarter step. And that's what I always get impressed with is you don't need a step. You need a lean. And mm-hmm. you know that your defender's done. Oh, yeah. So. I think, yeah, I think that the big thing is kind of like when you rep something out like that, like getting someone in your hip, like that was Coach McKillop carped on that all the time. Like, I'm getting in, I'm getting to the elbow, our first thing, then I get out, get out to like the free throw line extended, but I'm getting him on my hip. Whether it's I'm about to take a ball screen or just to be able to see. Because once he's on the hip, I know where I know where he is. I don't have to worry about him. And the same thing about when you're coming off a ball screen. Like I come off that ball screen tight, my defender's on my back. Like I'm not worried about him anymore. I'm looking at this guy. I'm looking at where my help defender's coming from, the weak side corner. Because that was that's a big thing in in uh, Europe that's not as big in the NBA. Where like if I'm taking this um, lane line ball screen and the guy rolls, is is that corner guy open? That's that's a big pass in in Europe that uh, you don't see as much in the NBA because they can't kind of be in that help space because of the defensive three seconds. So there's just like little things like that. That was a big, um, a big pass that they worked on that kind of looping pass to the opposite corner. Yeah. As you're playing in Europe and, you know, you played against a bunch of people that went to the NBA or higher level, you know, when you talk about some of those differences between what's, what happens here and some of those differences in Europe. Is there anything else that you've noticed kind of 
a cult, I mean, obviously some culture changes, but in the way that they play, you know, I'm, as I was coming up, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an eighties, nineties Lakers fan. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the, the rep from anybody coming over was they're soft, whatever that meant. Um, But that, that, that rep has obviously gone now as that, as the players have continued to come over, but have you noticed any like major differences in the play over there? I think that it's more physical over there. I think, I think they let you get away with a lot of more hand checking, grabbing kind of things. And obviously you have the superstars over here that like you touch them and it's a foul. Um, But a lot are fouls, but either way. uh, And I think that they're, I'm not saying that coaches in the NBA don't do a whole lot, but like, you have the best players in the world. Like sometimes you just got to let them like rock out. Like that's just, that's just how it is. When, whereas in um, Europe, you can go zone, you can, you can have these different schemes to kind of break up an offensive rhythm. And I think that where they're over there, like coaching, like the different details uh, has to be a lot stronger. And, and there's not as much space. There's not as much spacing over as you can be in more help side, you can kind of clog the paint up if you're if your five man can't shoot, and I think that's that's a lot of the reason why the the NBA and overseas is kind of the traditional big is not as big of a thing anymore. I mean, you'll have one here and there, but like everyone has to be able to shoot to space the floor. Um, which I mean, you expect things to evolve, so I mean, that, I think that can't be too surprising. But I think I I would say that it is definitely more physical or allowed to be more physical over in Europe. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's just in the NBA, you sometimes looks like they're coasting, but like, right. They just kind of roll the ball out and go. Yeah. But like the thing about the NBA is they're so good. That's the best defense. It's still hard to defend. So it's, it's, I mean, it's just a very different game from, I know Luka Doncic said that it was a lot easier to score in the NBA than it was EuroLeague. And obviously he's getting older and more mature, but there is a lot more spacing and there is, you do get a lot more calls as an offensive player. Hmm. Jack, take, take me through as, as a point guard, take me through in your opinion, what makes a good point guard as the coach's extension on the floor, right? So what, what makes a good point guard and, and what do you think, or what separates these guys in the NBA then? Kind of talk about that a little bit. I think the first thing to make a great point guard is the coach has to sh- show some type of faith and trust in them. Because if they don't have that trust to kind of lead the team, then you, you don't really have a point guard. You just have another guard out there. And I think that's one of the, the main things. I think uh, you have to have a high IQ. I think – the biggest part of a point guard is knowing where everyone is going to be um, at all times. I, I mean, you have to know that. And in order to make changes based on what the defense is doing. Um, and I think what, I think the pace that a point guard plays at is what makes some of these like Damian Lillard Steph, like they can get a shot off in three seconds and it would be a good shot or they can get in that pick and roll offense and slice and dice. Like I think the pace getting your defender on the heels, um, it's kind of like in 
football, like the game manager QB is kind of being changed to the more dynamic player. And I think that's just like back in the day, like point guards were seen as like pick and roll, get the, get the ball to the the scorer. But now the point guards are the scorers. So I think knowing the difference between when this is what I also had to do in college, like knowing when you have to score the ball and when you have to get your teammates involved and get them confidence. Like I play the game with an extreme confidence. And I think that is something that a point guard needs to do is instill that confidence into the rest of the team. Cause you'll, you'll know, you'll know when someone's feeling down, when they need to get like picked up, when they need to get an open shot and you call play for them, boom, or, you know, what action get, get them the ball. And I think that's, Another thing is, yeah, you have to be a good communicator, obviously. You have to be able to be loud. I think I struggled with that my freshman year, like coming in as a freshman and a point guard. Like, you don't want to be too vocal because you're playing with these guys that are three, four years older than you, and you don't want to step on anybody's toes. But at some point, you have to realize that, like, if the offense is going to run, you're going to have to sometimes tell people where they need to be. So I think those, those are... Those are some of the bigger things um, and understanding like situations and people. I think, you know, certain guys on your team struggle at the end of games. Like you got to know that maybe you taking a difficult shot might be better than them taking an open shot. And I know that's hard for people to hear, but you, you know, you're with these guys all the time. Like, you know, I mean, obviously it's different than NBA. Everyone's going to make that shot, but especially high school, college, like, knowing situation and knowing your personnel, I think is one of the biggest things. Now, do you believe now kind of adding on to that then where team chemistry, obviously that, that can, that can make or break on how good a team can play. Um, What percentage or how do you feel as far as team chemistry kind of rides on the point guard as being the leader then? I think, I think it's a big thing. My best year in college was my sophomore year of college. We were ranked for the first time since Steph had been at Davidson. And we, it was our first year in the A-10 and we ended up winning the the conference. And I think the biggest thing was our team chemistry. And I'm not saying that the point guard has to be like the main leader, but he does. I mean, cause you're going to have players like LeBron, obviously you're going to have like better players at better positions that are going to be leaders inherently but the point guard does need to be able to kind of navigate through different, whether it's egos, whether it's like what's going on outside of basketball, like you need to know those things in order to have that chemistry. And I think that's on the point guard kind of, because he's kind of running the show and something, some things that the coach might necessarily know, like being that extension of the coach, like obviously off the court, you're with the players more than the coach. So he might not necessarily know something that you might, and you have to be able to navigate that as a, one of the leaders on the team. And you, uh, we're going to, we're going to come back. We're going to take a quick break, but to finish what you were saying there, to finish this part of the conversation, I think that's why, you know, the teams that, that win at any level, NBA, Euro college, um, they always have the X factor high school, definitely high school. They Mm -hmm. always have the advantage of what you just hit on and what Zach asked you, which was that chemistry, that leadership. There's always one or two guys that you can point your finger at when you're watching as a coach or as a fan or anybody that's like, 
man, that guy, he, everybody knows what they're supposed to do because of that guy or those two guys. And everybody's held responsible beyond the coach sitting there yelling or whatever it might be. Because quite frankly, when you're out there playing, that is all just, that's all just hearsay. Like you're not paying, you're not really paying attention to your coach yelling when you're out there playing, right? You're worried about the guy next to you who's saying, Hey, come on. Are you going to fight with me? You're supposed to do this on this play. Come on. You got to jam that or whatever it might be. Um, that those are the teams that end up winning at any level and NBA all the way down. And so, um, that is really good stuff. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we got about three or four more questions for Jack. This has been some really good stuff. We will be right back. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E.com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. All right, welcome back to X's and O's NBA Breakdown. We're back with uh, Jack Gibbs for a couple more questions. So, Jack, tell me something. uh, First of all, I want to know, who kind of do you emulate your game after? Um, And with that, um, what are some of the differences um, between like NBA sets and some EuroLeague actions or sets and kind of from a coach's point of view, what does that look like? Um, Okay. So my growing up, I was a huge Chris Paul fan. Um, I just felt like the way that he could lead a team and kind of demand that attention of both his teammates and the opposition was just something that I, I always felt like was, was unbelievable just kind of controlling the game and being that guy on the court that just like knows where everybody is. So like that, that was a guy I emulated myself after. And he's just a bulldog. Like that's how I wanted to be. I want to be the toughest guy on the court a guy that like you switch him on to a four or five, like I'm not just going to take a foul. Like I'm, I'm going to bang in there and do my best to kind of hold people off. And I think, I think the way that he kind of navigates ball screens and just with his very high IQ uh, was just something that I was always drawn to. Um, I always like to think that I was a pretty high IQ guy. So like watching how people could effectively get open or, um, make make him make other other guys better. I think that was something that I just fell in love with, and along with falling in love with the game of basketball, it was just something that I think a great point guard needs to do, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, as for Euroleague and NBA sets, um, so I was I got like a Timberwolves. Uh, when I was on the summer league team, they gave us like this play packet and it was like 30 plays. And I was like, this is crazy. I've been here three days. Like they want me to memorize all 30 of these plays, but I think <laughs> you know, like, the level of 
IQ that they want players in the NBA to have. And I know that a lot of them are like a pistol action where you have like that early ball screen with the guy going kind of sideline side and a lot of floppy action. So you have, you have a shooter, a scorer kind of running baseline screens, getting open. I think those are like the two main things I noticed um, from my um, time in Europe. A lot of it is screen and roll based just kind of because I think they're, they're really good over there. They have a lot of great shooters. I mean, obviously a lot of Europeans that came over have been knockdown shooters. And I think over there, they like, like to set up like a point guard coming off screens and seeing those weak side actions. And I think obviously you, you've seen people. I think the guy that's coming to the nuggets, I want to say, com, com, I don't remember his name, Composo or something like that. I think Mike Malone just came out and said, he's the, he's one of the best pick and roll offensive players in the world. And I think, it's just because that is a skill that they learn at early age, how to read a defense on the pick and roll situation and find those knockdown shooters. And I think that that is very, I mean, even Luka Doncic, you can see how, how well-versed he is at mm-hmm. only one years old. Like you, It's something that is taught there and that they are very good. I remember my first, my second year, my first game in um, – Finland we had a guy named Tamu and he's like a legend he's almost 40 like but he was still he was just one of those guys that like was a gamer he had like 21 points like 20 assists his first game and it was just basically like he was so good at reading defenses off the ball screen and I think that's something that that is that is taught and it's like you have to be able to do that if you want to go anywhere in Europe Europe Euro League uh, anything like that so I think I mean, obviously, pick and roll is big in the NBA, but you have so much space that, like, once you get into that pick and roll, like, if the guard doesn't have a shot off, then the big's rolling and he has, like, a dunk. So, it's, like, it's it's a different pick and roll. Um, it's, yeah, it, it sounds like there's there's multiple reads because the spacing is so much different when you're over in Europe, like you were talking about earlier, right? Because they're playing zones. There's so many more options when you come off that screen. Yeah, so I think that that's the the big thing. The spacing's so different. Whereas in the NBA, you have a guy like Damian Lillard who comes off a screen, and that that mid range, like from free throw line to three point line jumper, is just so unguardable because if that big commits too much, like there's no way that either that help guys get into the big, or if that help guy gets too long, like you're leaving a wide open shooter that's going to knock that down at a 45, 50 percent clip, and then in the easiest spot in basketball that that corner. So. I think it, I mean it's just a lot different. You have a lot more schemes. Um, not saying there's not a lot in NBA, but it's just I think the spacing is what causes differences. Yeah. So Chris Paul, one of one of my favorites too. And in fact, uh, Zach and I were sort of chatting as you were talking about sort of balancing on your hip, and he had said, uh, "Yeah, that's exactly who I had thought." Chris Paul, as he kind of comes around that and sort of shimmies in and keeps the guy behind him so that makes sense that you emulate a little bit off of uh him now we also know you you played at davidson and steph was there uh what's kind of your relationship with him if there is one and kind of how do you see him as a player and have you tried to pull some off him i know that's kind of a layup question because it's the same school probably not at all but just kind of what that looks like um well i think coming into Davidson like 
you don't know much about the school. You kind of just know that elite eight run. I mean, we only had 2000 kids at school. That's about what I had at my high school. So it's not a big school. <laughs> Very well known. Obviously in North Carolina, you have Carolina, NC state, Duke, um, those schools. So obviously it's not the most well-known. I think Steph did a great job of, um, getting us on the map and he's done a great job since the whole school's under armor. Now we are now a part of his new brand. Davidson is, and he did it. He helped, he helped um, give money for our new practice facilities. Like he's given back and the whole community is thankful for that. And as for him, like one of the things that I admire about him is his confidence. And I think that's something that I try to bring to my game. I know one story that coach McKill always told about Steph is that his first game freshman year, they were in like a, preseason tournament at Michigan and they're playing Eastern Michigan and he's starting as a freshman and he has 15 points and 13 turnovers but coach McKillop left him in there just to let him get his lumps in second game they play Michigan they're top 25 in the country and he has 32 points only has three turnovers like just that confidence to kind of have that next play mentality of forget about what happened before like I know I'm good enough I'm going to play like play like it um as for relationships with them i had the opportunity um the very fortunate opportunity to work as camp in the bay area um alongside some other college players this is back in 2016 before my senior year so 2016 summer 2016 so just to kind of see the the workouts that he did, whether it's the, the tennis ball workout that I'm sure people have seen that he does before games or just like the way he gets his shot off so effortlessly, like just kind of some of those things that people admire from afar. Being able to see it up close is just like, it's, it's totally different. His work ethic and how he sees the game. I think that's why he's so great. Obviously he's one of the best shooters of all time, the best shooter of all time, but his IQ is so high. And the fact that he, and I think Davidson really helped with this. Like he learned to do those fundamental details where, where it's help somebody help herself. Like I'm going to cut so someone else can get open. That's the reason Clay Thompson, one of the other best shooters in the world can get those open threes because Steph is unselfish enough to play without the ball. Even though with, with the ball, he could probably score 40 a game, but he knows that in order to be a great team and we've seen this, that he needs to do things in order to get his other teammates shots and get them more comfortable. And I think those two things, his confidence and the way that he plays the game that few can because they aren't, they don't have the skill set that he does. And I think those are the two things that set him apart from a lot of point guards now. And even that have came in the past. Yeah. He puts pressure on the defense without the ball as well as with the ball. Right. And Jack, you and I talked about this before the show, if there's one person that should never get 10 to 15 threes a game, it is uh, Clay Thompson, right? I mean, that's a guy that, that should never get 10 to 15 threes a game, yet he does. Why? Because the gravity of Steph, because he not only puts pressure on you with the ball, it's all his right. cuts and his actions without the ball. Yeah, like I'm cutting – if I have Steph and Clay on a, on a wing and I, have, I cut Steph through, like that second, even though you're guarding Clay Thompson, like you see a two-time – MVP, you're like, okay, like he's go, he's a threat no matter what. And then Clay Thompson gets an easy, like, come, like, uh, step up to the wing three. You're just like, what can you do? But like, Steph is also open with that cut because he's so 
he's so gifted in knowing when to cut, how to cut, whether it's a air cut where I'm going at Clay Thompson and kind of just doing like a little bow cut, like towards the basket, or I'm actually screening. And I think his unselfish nature, like you see when Clay Thompson broke Steph's three point record, like Steph was the, the, the one that was the most happy for him. Like, I think yeah. that apart from a lot of other superstars. He's also a great screener, as you touched on. I mean, he, to, to me, when I watch NBA games, he, he might be one of the top two or three point guard uh, screeners in the league that actually hit people that go seek people because he knows when I set this screen, not only am I making them chase this guy, but I might be the guy that gets open because I yeah. have such good screens. Great to know that like you help somebody, whether it's a cut or a screen, like you're helping yourself because some type of action is going, the defense is going to be on their heels somehow and someone's going to be open and great players just want to win. And if you're not scoring and your teammate is, you're just as happy for your teammate. And I think that's when you have a leader like Steph, who is that and selfish and that willing to have that happen, then um, you, you have a great team. And I think there's a story that Steph and Davidson, another story, like one, one coach said he was leading the nation in scoring and a coach said like, I'm not gonna let him score. So he double teamed him the whole game. And Steph was like, all right, coach, run your offense. I'm going to stand at half court, and they're just going to double-team me. Like, he didn't score, but Davidson was by 40. Like, he's happy. And I think that that just is a testament to him. Like, a lot of other guys, especially now, like, oh, my scoring average just went down. Like, but no, if you win, coaches want players who are going to win. Like, they can find – anybody can find someone who can score, but what sets you apart from that that other guy? Yeah, I love that. Um that's, that's good stuff, Jack. Um, I, I actually had one of the more important questions that I had for you. Um, and we touched on this kind of prepping to speak with you the other, uh, the other day, I think it was yesterday, last night, we were kind of speaking about how with the shortened camp in the NBA, you're seeing obviously with COVID affecting all of these sports around the nation and how little prep these players, athletes, bodies are having injuries have been pretty substantial yeah. um, as a player that's dealt with injuries in your career. Talk about the physical hurdles. Sure. But I'm more as a mental health advocate, kind of talk about some of those mental hurdles that you can go through with dealing some, with some pretty severe injuries. All right. So obviously physically, I think my worst one was junior year of high school from ACL. And that was tough. I mean, obviously you want to be out there with, some of your best friends, but, and you can, it's nine, nine month recovery. So, but I, I pride myself on being strong and kind of just trying to stay strong. And I think I had a good group of people around me that helped me with that. I think the toughest injury that I went through was probably sophomore year. I tore my meniscus and I was out four weeks and it was like, our team was top 25 in the country. Like we were, we were rolling. And then we, we dropped two that I couldn't play in. And it was, I was struggling because I know that I could have helped out with that and like crying in the locker room after losses, like just caring that much about a group of people and knowing that me being out there for me, the lack of me being there kind of cost, I wouldn't say cost us. Cause obviously we have, we had some great players on the team and that other team obviously just played better that day, but just not being able to be out there. It, it, it it's hard. And I know that's probably what Clay Thompson's going through. I mean, he just got back from an ACL 
finally getting that glimpse of playing again and then he tears Achilles. So I, I mean, mentally it's tough. And especially during this time, I can't, I can't imagine because I mean, I tore my hamstring over in Belgium this past year and it was right when COVID hit. So like I couldn't practice. I'm kind of isolated in, in a different country and it takes a toll on your mental stability. But I mean, I think the big thing is you have to be able to talk about it with your loved ones and people that care about you. And I think that's one of the hardest but easiest way to kind of get through it. Like, obviously, I know a lot of people don't want to burden other people with their problems. So, but being able to be vulnerable with people that care about you is something that needs to happen in order to kind of get through those things. And I think I, I was lucky enough to have a, a, a dad and sister and mom who really cared about me and a group of friends that I was very close with that I could kind of come with with anything and not feel like I was being soft. I know that's a big thing, but I don't, I don't think you should have to worry about being soft in front of friends and family. Amen. Yeah, that is so good. That is so good. Um, damn, this has been a hell of an episode. I wish we had another three hours because this has just been so good. Um, but Jack, I'm going to ask you one last question and then uh, we'll give the viewers uh, a chance to comment whenever they hear this. I cannot wait till they get a little glimpse of this. Um, so we're going to switch gears really quick. I just want your, your quick, we're going to talk NBA real quick. Okay. I right. want your, I want kind of, um, your favorite, maybe not your favorite, give me your uh, prediction for maybe who you think is going to win this year, just because, and give me maybe a sleeper team or somebody that you enjoy watching that like when they come on, you're like, eh, you always find yourself watching that team. Like for me, I always watch for whatever reason I watch when the Pelicans play. I, or I'm sorry, the, uh, yeah, yeah. I watch new Orleans and why I just, I enjoy the young group I watch and they're not really any good, but <laughs> <laughs> but I love watching them. So, so obviously I'm a big Lakers guy. I watch every Lakers team, but for whatever reason, when they're on, I catch them. So give me like who you think is going to win, who you think is the best team in the NBA. And just if there's a team that you always catch yourself watching, whoever that is, fire. Favorite team, favorite player of all time, best player of all time, LeBron James. Um, I know I might have some pushback for that. Um, that uh opinion but that is obviously being from ohio watching him play in high school i think if we're talking strictly basketball player there's nobody that can touch him um so i think and obviously with the additions of harold schroeder wesley matthews i think they have to be a favorite for this year um along with anthony david and lebron i think i think they have the best one-two punch and I think their supporting cast is very, also very good. So I would say that they are definitely my favorites. You've and just made Mark and Mike so happy. Uh, you have no idea. No, no, but, uh, but here's the thing. is that I trust You're also you. right. Yeah, I trust you because <laughs> you're right. That's exactly correct. You're right. Um, as for a team that I love watching, um, especially last year in the bubble, the Mavericks. I think Luka Doncic isn't the most – athletic the fastest the best shooter but like the way he plays the game the iq the kind of style like the swag that he has on the court just like is unmatched and i think that 
he just wants to win. You can see that he has that fire inside of him to like just want to win. And when he hit that step back against the Clippers, like you would, you were not finding a happier person than, than me. So I, I, and obviously when Porzingis is healthy, like he's just a fun guy to watch. Cause like, you never know what you're going to get with them. Is he going to shoot some stupid fadeaways off the glass or is he going to like, but as you just never know, he's going to get, but like he, he always ends up putting some pretty good stats. Up. I think, especially with Seth, I think Seth Curry went to a different team this year. I don't think he's back with the Mavericks. Yeah, he went to Philly. Yep. Yeah. Even especially with Seth Curry, like I think that was like a group that just was so fun to watch because Seth can obviously light light up a gym, but just watching Doncic navigate through these much more athletic players is was very fun to watch. That's awesome. Zach, Mike, any other questions for Jack before we end the episode? Well, I I'm interested in his thoughts potentially on ESPN having Zion Williamson rated ahead of Paul George. <laughs> I, I would love to see Zion play full season. Obviously he is very, a very dynamic and a force down there. I mean, he's super strong and super athletic and very gifted at that. But I just want to, see him play a full season before I dub him a top 20. Is he, what do they, what do they have him at? Uh, 11, I think. Yeah. It was something ridiculous. So <laughs> top 25 player, like I would love to see him kind of expand on his game. Uh, he can't really shoot as of now, but obviously when you're that effective by the rim, like you don't really need to, but I would love to see him expand on that as well as play a whole season. Cause I'm nervous because he's 290 pounds mm-hmm. jumping. Can't be great on your joints. Trust me, I know a lot about the knee joint. So right. um, so I hope he can stay healthy. Obviously, I would never wish an injury on. But it's like it's going to be interesting to see as his career goes when sort of athleticism and will he be able to kind of expand his game a la Ben Carter or Blake Griffin. Um, and kind of really expand to a three-level score rather than a guy who's just going to out-jump and out-power you. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see, but as of now, I'm not rating him that high. I also think Paul George didn't do himself any favors in the bubble. And I'll Preach. correct us here. Preach. Zion's 19, Paul George is 20. But oh. again, like we said previous episode, when you hit the side of a backboard, you're probably going to drop a few spots. Yeah, you need to come out of the game. You need to come out. I love a quote about Doc Rivers not using him enough, but then Doc Rivers saying that his new coach was sitting next to me the entire year. So, oh yeah, NBA NBA pettiness at its best, right? Well, guys, great episode, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Goodness. Anytime we can have you on, we will. And since you're around, we we probably will because that was about as good as it gets. So for X's and O's NBA Breakdown, episode two, we are out. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, 
Visit mypodcastmanager.com to get started. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of X's and O's NBA Breakdown. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please like, subscribe, or comment on any of our social media sites at X underscore breakdown. See you next week. And remember, Mamba on three.